These two pastors were fishing by the side of the road one day, and they had made up a sign which read, The end is near. Turn yourself around before it's too late. And every car that went by, they showed it to them. And there was this one particular motorist that went by, and he wasn't too appreciative of the sign, and he cried out, Leave us alone, you bunch of religious nuts. And after several seconds, the two pastors suddenly heard this splash, and they turned and looked at each other, and one of the pastors said, Do you think we should have just written bridge out instead? Some of you might get it, and some of you won't. It's all right. Kind of a little end times humor. As we... This morning, I prayed a lot about this message, and I wanted to make it sort of a special message as we go to communion, uh, kind of to wrap up the series we had on the book of Revelation. So I entitled the message this morning, The, the Response. The response. Father, I just thank you for this day, Palm Sunday. I love this time of year. It's a time of great rejoicing, a time of great victory. And I pray there'll be great victory and joy in the house this morning. Thank you for each person that you've drawn here. You have them here for a reason. And I ask that they receive everything that you would have for them every blessing that you would have for them. And Lord, we don't need to hear a word from man. We're in a desperate time, and we desperately need to hear a word from you. So I pray that's exactly what will happen this morning. And I do pray that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. And I truly pray that the words I speak will be your words, and they will bring life. They will bring healing, they will bring hope, and they will bring victory. And so we just give you the rest of this time, and I thank you for what you're going to do. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. That's what I believe our response should be. It is our time. The book of Revelation should tell us that it's our time. It it is going to be our time for the church to stand up. I believe that we do live in unprecedented times, and therefore we are going to have, as we're going to see here this morning, unprecedented opportunities to make a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. As I just said a few moments ago, we've come to the end of our study in the book of Revelation. And at at the end of the book of Revelation, Jeff did a fine job last week, and he pointed out that... We are being crying out, come, Lord Jesus, come. And I thought we ought to just give that a whack just to see how that would work. So let's just say it together. Come, Lord Jesus, come. A little more enthusiasm. I know we're primarily white here, all right? So let's try it again. (laughs) Come, Lord Jesus, come. Awesome. And as I was thinking about that, it's interesting, 2,000 years ago on this very Sunday, Jesus Christ came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. It was Palm Sunday. Skip, can you put that picture up? And the people were crying out. The Jews were lining both sides of the street. They had palm branches in their hands, and they were crying out to Jesus, Jesus, save us. Jesus, save us. And interestingly enough, five days later, Jesus Christ was hanging on a Roman cross. Skip, can you put that up? Jesus was answering their prayer. 
of five days earlier, but sadly, most simply did not understand it. They did not understand what their great Hebrew prophet Isaiah wrote some 700 years earlier when he wrote in the book of Isaiah, so movingly in Isaiah 53, starting at verse 1. He, he wrote these words, Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root on dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, he was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole, he was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Amazingly enough, Isaiah wrote that 700 years before Jesus Christ came to planet Earth. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus solved humanity's greatest problem. And you know what our greatest problem was and still is, though? It's sin. But Jesus paved the way on the cross. As blood was dripping from him, Jesus was paving the way that we could be reconnected back to the Father. Oh, the greatest problem we all have is such profound emptiness and strongholds. We have such anger and frustration and depression. And when you come to Jesus and you come to that cross, you know what? You will find answers to all of those things. And Jesus solves that problem. You know, so many of us are just bound up on the inside and we're so desperate for freedom. We talk about being in America, the land of the free, yet so many of us are in prison. But you see, freedom can come when you come to the cross. Jesus provides that freedom where you can begin to experience love and joy and peace. Can you honestly say that you have it this morning? Can you tell me that you really are walking in love, that you're experiencing love, that you're experiencing joy, that you're experiencing peace? You can find it this morning at the cross if you will come simply to the cross. You will find it. Now, 2,000 years later, we fast forward. We find ourselves in this present, present day and time. And we find ourselves in a world that is just absolutely full of turmoil. In fact, this past week, I was looking at several worldwide news sources, and they laid out these five problems right now that our world is facing. Number one, we are on the verge of a global economic collapse. Number two, we are facing significant issues pertaining to global population growth. Number three, we are experiencing a global water crisis. Over two billion people lack access to a clean water source. Number four, the rise of radical Islam and terrorism. This is the most significant thing to face and, 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 and to penetrate and take away our freedom in the last 70 years is radical Islam and terrorism. And finally, number five, we are facing plagues and disease, epidemics that have the potential to wipe out literally significant portions of our population. 
And the interesting thing is, and sadly, really the world has no answers for these five significant problems. Yet the book of Revelation, as you all know, tells us that someone soon is to come on the scene, a world ruler. And he's going to say that he has the solutions to these problems. And the world's going to hail him as a kind of savior, but tragically in the end. And we all know now the story of the book of Revelation. He's only going to bring destruction and death in his path. He's not going to be the perfect man. He's not going to be the perfect ruler. In fact, the Bible identifies him as none other than the Antichrist. And he is going to bring great tragedy to this world. I believe even now that the Antichrist is waiting in the wings only to take center stage on this planet. Yet the Bible tells us that ultimately there is only one person who can bring solutions to the problems in our world. There's only one person who can bring justice and peace and prosperity, and that is the Prince of Peace. And that is why Jesus truly is the world's only hope. And that is why we should be expectantly hoping, desiring, and calling out for Jesus to come back. In fact, Jesus wrote these words in the Olivet Discourse. He spoke these words in the Olivet Discourse. Just five days before his crucifixion, Jesus said in Matthew chapter uh, 24 and verse 42 this. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. And Jesus spoke these words. He said, so you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready on Sundays. Oh, it didn't, oh, I guess that's the New World Translation. All right, um, you also must be ready all the time, and what does all mean? Well, that's kind of weak. You see, if you have, you've forgotten that all means all, all of the time, and that's all all will mean. So he's meaning literally all the time we should be ready for the Son of Man will come when he is least expected. We are to be expectantly looking for Jesus Christ to be coming to planet Earth because he is our only hope. And I want to talk now the rest of this morning before we move to communion. Why practically is it so important that I be looking for Jesus and that you be looking for Jesus, that we be expectantly hoping for his coming? And Jesus gives us the answer in Matthew chapter 25 in what's known as the parable of the talents or the parable of the three servants. In Matthew chapter 25, if you have your Bibles, turn with me there, and we'll start at verse 14. It says this, again, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. The man here is none other than Jesus Christ. The long trip that he's going to be going on, he's going to be crucified in four short days, and then he's going to be ascending to the Father. He called together his servants. Now, this is critical. Who are the servants? Who's in view here? Who is Jesus telling this parable to? And I've always said it's context, context, and context. And the context is Matthew chapter 24 and verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. Jesus is telling this parable to his disciples. Very critical. So he called together his servants or disciples, and he entrusted his money to them, and then he was gone. 
He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities, and then he left on a trip. So he divides his disciples into three groups, the five bag of silver group, the two bag of silver group, and then the one bag of silver group. The obvious question is, what do the bags of silver represent? Most people say they represent spiritual gifts, but see, that would be wrong. And the reason why it would be wrong is because the one bag of silver person is cast into outer darkness. It's cast into hell. And spiritual gifts are not given to non-believers or unbelievers, but only believers. So what do the bags of silver represent? I'll tell you what they represent. They represent opportunities to glorify God. Then it says, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. Verse 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip. Now, I did an in-depth word study of that Greek word for long. And you know, the, the word is pollen. And you know what it means? Great. So, no, no. So Jesus is saying that there's going to be a long space between his first coming and his second coming. It's been almost 2,000 years, and I do believe it's very close at hand. And it said, then he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Let's not kid ourselves this morning. Jesus Christ is going to ask each and every one of us to give an accounting of our stewardship. A stewardship of our life. And we're going to see that it comprises of time, it comprises of our money, and it comprises of our abilities. And we're all going to have to give an account. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more. And he said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done. Now watch this. My good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. He's talking about heaven here, eternal responsibilities. Come, let us celebrate together. Wouldn't you like to hear that from Jesus and your review and the review of your stewardship? And notice he repeats a word over and over, and that's significant. Faithful, faithful, faithful. You're going to hear it over and over this morning, verse 22. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, You gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, here it is again, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities in heaven and eternity. Come, let us celebrate together. Please notice that the five bag of silver person and the two bag of silver person are virtually identical. They take what they have, they take what they've been given, they take their opportunities, and they invest them in Jesus, in his kingdom, and not themselves. And as a result, Jesus says, because you have been faithful to what I have been given you, now your reward is great. And please notice, they receive the exact same reward. Skip, can you put up the picture? Billy Graham. Billy Graham is considered by most, to be probably the greatest evangelist to have ever lived. Do you realize that Billy Graham has preached over 215 million people live, preached in over 125 countries, and over 
Food, 3.2 million people, as best as they can tell, have responded to Billy's call, have responded to his invitation, repent, repent of your sins, turn to Jesus, and you will find forgiveness and hope at the cross. 3.2 million people approximately have responded to that. I pray that you have responded to that. Skip, can you put up the next picture? In the next picture, you see a person that you probably don't know. You might know the guy in the background there, kind of the fat, dumb-looking guy. You probably know him. But the guy in the foreground is none other than Pastor Israel. Now, like I said, you don't know him. He's in India. In many ways, he's called the Apostle Paul of India. This man has planted hundreds of Little churches all throughout India. In fact, he went into one village and began preaching Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the gospel and the good news. And you know what they did to Pastor Israel? They took him, they tied him to a tree, they stripped him, and then they beat him. And they left him to die. He didn't die. And interesting, it's a great story. Most of that village later turned to Jesus Christ. But Pastor Israel bears the marks of Jesus on his body. Now, here's the question I have for you. In eternity, in Judgment Day, who's going to receive the greater reward? Is it going to be Billy Graham or is it going to be Pastor Israel? Now, you know, I know many of us, even this morning, might be ambivalent about that question. We might be confused because, you see, our flesh says, conventional wisdom says, you know, wait wait a minute. Billy Graham had the bigger ministry. He spoke to more people. More people responded. More people were saved under Billy Graham's ministry. And you see, we here in America, we have a stronghold called success. We worship at the altar of success, the cult of personality. And we say, Billy Shirley is going to get the greater amount of rewards. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says the issue isn't the amount of success. The issue is faithfulness. Faithfulness. See, we get hung up on things that we shouldn't get hung up on. By the way, you can't determine the amount of time you have on planet Earth. Did you know that that's determined by God? Now, I love the exercise freaks. My wife is one of them, you know. And she's all into these power drinks. And I said, you know, you're not going to add one day to your life. Not one day. It's already determined. See, the only thing you can determine is the quality of your life. So, We're all given a a certain amount of time. We're all given a certain amount of money. We're all given a certain amount of talent. In fact, you can't even determine where you were born. It'd be radically different if you were born, for example, in India versus here. See, we get hung up on that. Jesus says that's not important. You know what Jesus says is important? Now get this because it's so free. Jesus says what's important is faithful, faithful, faithful. What do you have? What have you been given? Jesus is going to say, were you faithful with that? Were you faithful to the opportunities that I gave you in life? See, that is what the question is going to be. Did you use them for me or did you use them for yourself? Now, here's the real point. Here's what I want to drive to as we go to communion. what, uh, what's really of interest to me is what motivated the five-bag-of-silver person and the two-bag-of-silver person? Why were they so motivated to live for Jesus? And we actually find it in the last servant. Watch this now, verse 24. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. 
I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and you lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given to them. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. That, my friend, is a picture of hell. And Jesus says about this final servant, this third servant, he says, you lazy and wicked servant. Lazy, I get. You know, this guy takes his bag of silver, he buries it in the dirt, he goes home, watches television, and eats bonbons. I get why he's lazy, but why is no, no, why is he wicked? This whole parable, this whole story turns on why he is wicked. And he's wicked for two reasons. The first reason he's wicked is because he misrepresents his master. He essentially says to his master, who is God, you know, master, you are harsh. You are unfair. Essentially, he calls his master a tyrant. He's calling God a tyrant. Now, before we're so hard on him, and it's easy to be hard on him, you know, I thought about how often I've heard people say those kinds of things. But wait a minute, Frank. How often have you thought? In your mind, Jesus, you're unfair. Jesus, you're harsh. You demand too much of me. You don't really love me because if you loved me, Jesus, you wouldn't have allowed this to happen. And on and on it goes. We've all said things that are really heretical and slanderous against God himself, haven't we? And you know, it's interesting. As I was thinking about this, the very words came to my mind in Matthew chapter 11. Skip, can you put those up in Matthew chapter 11? Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 11, and you know what? They're not going to come up on Matthew chapter 11. So I'll tell you, you can open up your Bibles, and it says this in Matthew chapter 11. We are told this. Powerful words, words that you probably are familiar with. And Jesus said this. He said, Starting at verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I mean, those are like music to my ears. Jesus says to each one of us, he says, are you, are you tired? I can give you rest this morning. I'm humble. I'm gentle. My yoke is easy to bear. Is Jesus lying? Is he? Skip, put up the picture. It's an interesting picture Jesus paints. There's a yoke. Now, yoke is designed to tie two animals together because, you see, when you have two animals working together, you actually get more power and more productivity than if they were individual. Now, here's the interesting thing, though, about a yoke. A yoke is meant to tie together a, what we would call a dominant leader oxen and then a follower oxen. And, you know, when they are working together, it's a beautiful 
beautiful picture, a lot of productivity. And quite often, it's not unusual for a leader or dominant ox to be tethered or tied to a young ox. Skip, can you put up that picture? There you see that. And what's supposed to happen there, see that older ox there, that leader ox? He's supposed to teach the younger ox how to ox. (laughs) Now, what happens, see, if that guy right there, let's just say he's rebellious. You know, he's an independent type. What's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. Not only is he going to be a pain in the neck, he's going to have a pain in the neck. He's going to have a sore neck. How often I've thought about American Christians. How often we are not only pain in the necks, but we have pain in our life. We have tremendous pain in our life because, you see, with Jesus, the picture is beautiful. Jesus is saying, see, get this now. I'm the leader ox. I'm the dominant ox, and you are to be the follower ox. You're to be submissive to me, and it's beautiful. When you, he, you're tethered to him, and when you surrender to now listen to me. When you surrender and are submissive to Jesus, he not only carries most of the burden, you're going to be productive. But I'll tell you, it's, it's killing most of us. It's killing most of us because we tend to be rebellious oxes. And we're wondering why it's not working. All right, finally, there's a second reason why this servant is wicked. Jesus points out an interesting thing. He says, you know, to the servant, why didn't you put my bag of silver in the bank and get interest? Anyone know why he didn't do it? I'll tell you why he didn't do it. Because in the ancient world, the servant couldn't have a bank account. Only the master could. And so if he put the bag of silver in the bank, it would have been in the master's name. But you see, this servant had a problem. This servant either was hoping the master wouldn't come back or he didn't believe the master would come back. In any event, when the master didn't come back, he would just dig up the bag of silver and guess who gets to keep it? He does. He's a thief. Who is this last servant, by the way? Who is this disciple? It's Judas. It's Judas. You see, Judas didn't believe ultimately that Jesus was who he said he was. He didn't believe that Jesus Christ was coming back. And so he took his one opportunity in life, his own life, and all that it encompasses, all of his money, all of his time, all of his talent. He said, I'm going to use it on me. And how did it go for Judas? He committed suicide. I want you to know it always goes bad always goes bad for the person who uses their life for themselves. And so here's how I end this morning as we go to communion. Here's my challenge, the book of Revelation. You know why it matters? You know what the book of Revelation's ultimate message is? It's a picture that says that Jesus Christ is the king of kings and he is the he is the king of kings and he's the lord of and what does that mean? It means he's God. And it means you and I are accountable to him. No, no, get this. It means that you and I are accountable to him. Gee, I can guarantee you, as sure as the nose is on your face, that Jesus Christ is coming back. And it matters practically because if you really believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, it's going to affect your life. It's going to change your life. You're going to be like the, 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 the five bag of silver servant or the two bag of silver servant. You are going to change your life. You're going to live your life differently. You, as it says in the Bible, are going to become kadosh. 
holy. You don't hear that word too much, do you? That stuns you. Holy, kadosh, you know what that means? It literally means to be sanctified, set apart. And when you really believe that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you will separate yourself from this world, from its principles, from its value system. You'll reject it, and you'll begin to live for Jesus and his principles and his values. And it has a practical effect. Now, if you don't really think that Jesus Christ is coming back, I guarantee you, you will live for yourself. So which servant are you? The five bag of silver? You might have some. The two bag of silver, maybe not as many opportunities. Or are you the one bag of silver person? Using the opportunity that God has given you, your life. Your talents and abilities and money on yourself. Which one? Father, as we move to communion, I can't think of any more appropriate challenge than that. As we move towards communion, begin to move on our hearts, Holy Spirit. Blow away any delusional thinking we might have about ourselves. Expose what's in darkness and bring it to light. Bring us into the truth. What's the truth about each one of us here this morning? Not for condemnation, but that we really can begin to find life and victory and freedom. I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. Skip, can you play the...